Alternative Radio. Hello once again, folks. I'm Brendan. And I'm Jason. And this is for Screen on Contract. And Jason, before yep. we start the main portion of our episode this week, and don't worry, it's going to start and it's going to be raw. We are raw dogging it here movie style, Whoa. folks. Whoa. Jason, I mean, was... Jason is rocking on top of me, just <laughs> just giving it to me, give me, giving me the business. Yes, that's the only way we do it here. We actually, we always record an episode while we fuck with no condoms on. That is the for screen and country way. That's the for screen and country guarantee. That's the for screen and country guarantee that if you listen to this episode, we are fucking with no clothes on. No condoms on. Well, no clothes on, obviously. I mean, obviously. If we're not clothes on, that'd be more impressive. This isn't, this isn't some weird Showtime movie. No. This isn't, yeah, this isn't, uh, uh, yeah, uh, quote unquote porn at like 11 o'clock at night where Every time they cut to a they cut to a butt, and that's the best you'll get. Yes, true. If if you're lucky, if, you, if you're lucky. All right. Well, Jason, we're, before we start this week's show, we're gonna read some comments. Uh, we got not not too many comments. Again, a lot of these movies we've been doing recently are not uh, largely, you know, b- big popular. Not not the zeitgeist. They're not big not, popular by my favorite maybe not Steiner widely brother. Widely seen, perhaps. No, they're, no, I, I think I said it right. They're not. They're not big popular. My favorite Steiner brother, next to Big Papa Pump, uh, and Big Popular, Obviously. and the Dog Face Gremlin. <laughs> okay, enough with the wrestling references. Yes, um, let's push through. Yeah, we're gonna read some comments uh, regarding the movie we talked about, and that was, of course, City of Life and Death. Jason, would you like to start us off? Sure. Our old pal Adam Hures writes in and says, "Brutal film." The first 30 to 40 minutes should be watched just as much as the beginning of Saving Private Ryan is. Looks great, too. Maybe the greatest World War II movie about the war in Asia. Ooh, so, yeah, war in it's Asia. up there. Okay. Well, I mean, Maybe. you know, you've got your other, you've got your, you know, your, your Torah, 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 although I wouldn't put Torah, 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 even in, in the league is this of this movie. Jason, how do we not have that on our list? I think you told me it was really boring. It's extremely dry. It's extremely okay. dry. At least that's how I read it back when I saw it. I haven't seen it in probably 15 oh. or 20 years. but Yeah, because, Jason, we've never covered an extremely no. dry movie before. I mean, we certainly have. It's just, it, But it's not on this list, and I, I have to imagine that that's why, because it's, it's yeah, a yeah. cool thing, but we're not here to talk about Torah, Torah, Torah. No, we're here to talk about City of Life and Death, Bread, and we have another comment. Why don't you go ahead and read that? Well, Drew Cartwright DeMello says, this is a great film. I saw it the year it was out. I, I should have said, I said comment. I should have said uh, acknowledgement. He acknowledged that he has seen the film and that he saw it the year that it came out. 2009 so. was Drew's year. Absolutely. And so that's two people that have seen it. We got one more, uh, Brendan. And Ooh. since you did it this way, I'm going to read it. Yeah, do it. Claudia Gabarin. I hope I'm saying that right. I know I'm probably not. I had to prepare myself mentally ahead of time. I knew it was brutal, but also very good. Many images seared in my mind. Then again, you can't learn almost anything about the rape of Nanjing that won't have a similar effect. Yeah. 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 Same, <sighs> same thing like when you hear about like the Holocaust. There's no way to, there's no like children's books about the Holocaust. I'm, well, I mean, there I'm are. Sure there, there are? Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, I learned books? about the Holocaust in fifth grade, Brendan, so I, yeah. I don't know about you. <laughs> I know, but not, they didn't say, like, oh, let's see, there were balloons, there were parties. Like, Well, but haven't you ever heard, like, the, the Boy in the Striped Pajamas? You never heard of that book that's, like, a famous kid's book that about the kid in the concentration camp? I've only heard about the film adaptation. 
Okay, well. Yeah. No, I mean the film, the movie adaptation. Like, adaptation, starting Nicholas Cage. Oh, that's a great I've movie. I've only heard about that movie. <laughs> I haven't heard about any other movies. It's the only movie you know. Only movie, and I haven't one. even seen it. I've just heard of it. Just heard of it. You just know it is a movie, and as far as movies go, that's the one. So this has been, or this podcast has been a real eye-opener for me, because every <laughs> week I'm like, oh, I've oh, heard shit. of another movie. This movie, this movie's a lot like adaptation. <laughs> J- J- guys, do you notice I lean on Jason a lot for the plot? Like, he to- he goes over the plot. That's because I don't watch it. I just hear Jason talk about it, and then I assume the metaphors that are contained within. He just, he, he then uses, he uses the, the structure of adaptation that he's only heard about to then apply to, uh, the film and he understands it right i was like so is this a movie within a movie every week i say that and i just cut it out of the episode because it's just getting repetitive (laughs) absolutely well thank you claudia thank you drew thank you adam yes thank you all we bow to you uh merci buckets but jason we need to move on my friend we need to talk about this week's movie and that is of course sergeant york what accent was that Coming up, Gary Cooper is no Grand Duke, just a grunt soldier in 1941, Sergeant York. A drunken farm boy finds Jesus and becomes a devout pacifist. But the outbreak of war changes a man and Alvin C. York decides to show Fritz what America is really fighting for. All this and 30 or so slightly used German machine guns this week on For Screen and Country. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the podcast called For Screen and Country. We are coming to you live from deep in the French forests, in northern France, uh, possibly the Argonne. I'm not really sure. It's a lot of green trees. Um, I asked a French cabbie just to take us to, to where the war happened, and he dropped us here. So that's where we are. We don't have a real audience today, uh, other than the birds and the bees, uh, and we're going to have a fun talk later, mm-hmm. let me tell you. I- Brendan? Yes. How you doing? I I'm great. Uh, I'm having actually a terrific day, Jason. I can say that with all genuine sincerity in my voice because I today became a driver of the road. Oh my goodness, Brendan! You finally got your uh, your 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 driving cherry pop. I did. I now can drive on the earth road. Still can't drive on the water road, but I will get there. Um, but I am now, now you're driving, uh, you know, you don't, you know, you don't need a license to drive, Brendan. If you know, if you can just travel, that's, that's fine. You can travel. You don't need a license for that. The cops will never arrest well, you. Well, Jason, from what I've learned, um, as long as you're one of the Corys, it's pretty easy to get a license to drive. You just have to make an 85 or so minute movie, um, mm. and be real goofy. Seems like an expensive prospect, but Hey, to each their it's own. It's a couple mil and you're good. You got your license to drive. <laughs> That's your liability is the movie that you've created. Yeah. Listen, I have to you have to give me my license. I'm one of the Corys. Don't don't worry about which one I am, but I just made a movie. Wait, wait, are you Corey Hart? Ah, uh, you got me. Oh, I gotta go back to Canada Feet now. Don't fail me now. Leave a little dust cloud and take off. Jason, 
Yeah. We talk about uh, movies of war on this podcast yeah. of for Screaming Country, of which you said the whole title, and I was a little upset at that, but I'm going to bury that yeah. deep down. Um, sometimes, Brendan, I need to do it for me. Yeah, well, sometimes... I don't know what to say. I'm 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 a little disheveled <laughs> by all of this, but I'm I'm going to press forward. I'm going to push forward. I just was a yeah. So we talk about uh, war films on this podcast. In fact, we talk about the top 100 war films of all time, according to the fellas and the ladies, but probably mostly the white fellas over at Paste Magazine. I'm not going to make assumptions, but come on. <laughs> um, it's a good it's a good chance. I don't at know. Least Paste ba- Magazine. Perhaps you're more diverse than we expect. Maybe, maybe. I, but the name Brogan Morris, I think, uh, <laughs> I think very, uh, if not very white, maybe very British white. I'm not. I don't know. Sounds kind of Irish, maybe. Brogan. Morris. Maybe an Irish, maybe an Irish well, name. He did uh, suggest the Killian Murphy movie we talked about, so there you go. <laughs> he also sounds like a like 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 we got Joe Rogan, but oh, like in, like the Joe Brogan. I like, mean, Joe Rogan. It, it'd be like Joe Rogan to the to the power of Joe Rogan is is Joe Brogan. I mean, let's let's be real. Joe Rogan at this point is essentially Joe Brogan. <laughs> Essentially, yeah, sure. <laughs> We're not here to talk about Joe Brogan and his weird politics no. that he, <laughs> no one can get really a handle on. Um, we're here to talk about war movies, and this week we are going to talk about a film from 1941, our second Howard Hawks movie, and that would be Sergeant York. Sergeant York, you're the man. Sergeant York, we love you because you capture Germans yourself. Germans shouldn't be out running around, just living their lives. So you should round them all up and bring them back to our lines. Sergeant York, you saved us from them Germans. That's right. That theme song can only mean one thing. We are talking about Osmosis Jones on this week's episode. Can we get into this? Chris Rock is a germ. Oh. Bill Murray is the location. Wait, sorry, I'm looking at the wrong <laughs> wow. notes. Uh, oh, yeah, sorry. Sergeant York, Sergeant York, 1941. Jason, our second Howard Hawks movie, like I said, we talked about uh, Air Force previously. Mm-hmm, but, mm-hmm. and, and, and our second Walter Brennan appearance. Yeah. But. Was he also in Air Force? No, um, he was in something we talked about uh, just recently, and I'll figure I know. out what that was in I know. a second. But we couldn't miss him because we heard his voice. Right. No, our second uh, Walter Brennan movie and our first movie starring Gary Cooper. Yeah. Americana The himself. strong but silent type, according to Tony Soprano. Yes, that's right. Um, wow. Do not go on Wikipedia and try to figure out which Walter Brennan movie it is because you will be at it for days. <laughs> he has had a million a movies. I will figure this out, Jason. This is important. The podcast cannot proceed until I find out what other Wait, movie. Wait, was he was he like somebody's dad nope. in a movie? He was in, yes, he was in Hangman Also Die. That's where we talked right. about Right, 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 right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but Gary Cooper, you may know him from The Pride of the Yankees. You may know him from High Noon um, and uh, a lot of other things. Wings, the first movie to win a, an Oscar. Um or Morocco, Mr. Deeds goes to town. He's a, he's an everyman, you might say. Wait, Gary Cooper was in Wings? Yes, sir. He's really? not the wow. lead. Did not know he's that. not the lead. He's like he's just no. like a he plays Cadet White, so I'm assuming he doesn't okay. have a large role. Um but he is in it. Um he was probably like the teenager. Um I say he must have been a kid. Yeah. Yeah, or at least like in his uh, mid 20s. Gary Cooper is was born in 1901, so he would have been like 25 years old. Okay, yeah, yeah. 
But we're not here to talk about any of those Gary Cooper movies. We're here to talk about, talk about Sergeant York. Now, before you get into uh, the basics of the plot of this movie here, I just want to go through again. We've got Gary Cooper. We've got Walter Brennan. Uh, we've got Joan Leslie playing Gracie Williams, who, by the way, Joan Leslie is 15 years old. Let's put a pin in that and talk about that in a bit. Um, Wait, got... the lead actress is 15 years old? Yes, sir. Did not know that. Nope. Uh, when I found that out, I had a, a, a reaction to it. <laughs> we get to George Tobias as Pusher Ross, a soldier from New York who becomes one of uh, Alvin York's best friends. Now, did we- you, like me, think that that was Buddy Hackett because he had the same kind of like like New York vibe to him and he had his eyes too close together no because it's been a long time since i've seen it's a mad 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 world and that's my only point of <laughs> reference for buddy hackett so <laughs> maybe if i'd watched it pre- pre- right before this i think maybe and it would have happened when i saw him i swore we had seen him in a movie before and i looked up his filmography and i cannot find any of the any movie that he's been in that we've seen and i had clicked on him already for some reason and i don't know why i'd like you just wanted to weird. click on him i guess so you just i guess so click, click that filmography um, we've also got uh, Stanley Ridges as Ma- uh, Major Buxton. We've got Margaret Wykerly as Mother York. Um, mm-hmm. Ward Bond, Noah Beery Jr. And, of course, your friend and mine, June Lockhart. And others. <laughs> this movie is 134 minutes long. And uh, it is in glorious black and white. But, Jason... As I look at the letterbox page for Sergeant York, uh, as the letterbox logo is dripping blood, which is a really weird visual, but then I remember that it's almost Halloween when recording this, but this is not a horror movie, so it looks weird. While I contemplate that and swish that around in my brain and try to make sense of this world, why don't you tell us uh, the basics of what this movie's about? So this movie's actually kind of similar to a previous movie we watched uh, in Hacksaw Ridge. Very Not in in exact... you know, not in exact things, but broad strokes, because we have a movie about a guy who's a pacifist, uh, but I, at least I, in this movie, eventually. I will say, Jason, that if Mel Gibson tried to t- tried to say that he didn't watch this movie for inspiration, I would say he's a liar. Yeah, no, absolutely. there's no way he didn't. I mean, Mel, Mel Gibson uh, made a war movie that is clearly informed by earlier war movies, and I would expect nothing less from somebody who made a war movie that good, like... You know, again, we can we can shit on Mel Gibson all day, but we can't shit on his talent because he is very good at what he does. Yeah. Um, so we have this guy, Alvin York. He's basically a, a hillbilly, mm-hmm. kind of a hillbilly. Anyways, plum right um, he is. Yeah. He uh, and he's from Tennessee. He's from the Holler in Tennessee. He lives in the valley and he lives up on the hill. And he's from the same area that Daniel Boone was from, because Daniel Boone killed a bar there once in 1777 or something. Sure. So he's just, he's just, you know, and, and this is the thing. The first 60 to 70 minutes of this movie is basically a John Steinbeck novel. Uh, you know, he's living his life. He's he's young and he's just, he's a drunkard because, you know, there's nothing else going on. He's got no direction in life. He's a really good, like, shot. He's a good marksman, but that's about all he's got going for him. Yeah. He's trying to make, a, you know, make a life on this hard scrabble land up on the hill when all he wants is a piece of bottom land down in the valley. That's the good land. That's the best land. And so he decides that he wants to get a piece of land and he makes a deal with a neighbor that he's got 60 days to get the money together. And in the course of that, he finds a purpose, you know, he kind of finds the thing that puts him on the straight and narrow and he works his butt off. He does as much labor as he can. He takes piecework. He does, you know, he'll split logs for people, whatever he could do. Every day he's putting that money away in a box and his mother's watching him. 
Mm-hmm. And it's it's like it's good for him. It's keeping him on the straight and narrow. He's not out getting drunk at night with his friends, shooting up, uh, you know, shooting up the forest and making a ruckus while church is in. He's actually contributing. But I mean, kudos to that shoot up in the forest while church was in because he carved he he shot his initials into a tree while riding a horse, riding a horse and drunk. You know, that's, <laughs> that's the kind of marksman this guy is. That's, so that's, he's very good at the shot thing. You put that guy to work. Yeah. So he goes, he goes through all that and he gets, he gets, he's so close to getting the money and the date comes and he pleads to the guy that's going to sell him. He's like, look, man, I really need this land. Just give me a few days. There's a turkey shoot this weekend. I'm going to, I'm going to hit all five targets. I'm going to take that cow home and I'm going to get enough money to pay you. And he's like, uh, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. You know, cause he's like, there's no way he's going to do that. So of course York goes to the fucking turkey shoot and he shows him. He shows him, he hits five targets, he gets the turkey shot, and he wins that fucking cow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And he gets and he gets the money together. He basically has a raffle or <laughs> a lottery for the cow, and he gets everybody to chip in like a dollar or whatever. And he has the money, and the guy won't take it because he already sold it to Zeb. A real asshole, Zeb. A real asshole, who's his sort of his romantic rival. Hmm. But, I mean, Gary Cooper does come in pretty... For the affections of a 15-year-old girl. Oh, uh, we'll get into that. <laughs> Gary Cooper does come in pretty hot at Zeb, though. Yes, like when, no, when absolutely. In, in the beginning, and then Zeb is kind of being a, uh, a kind of an asshole, and then Gary Cooper like almost kicks him, like literally kicks him out of there. So I mean, I well, don't know if I fully blame Zeb. It, it, the implication to me is, yeah, Zeb's being an asshole clearly to to Alvin for no real reason beyond that he's another guy that's interested in the same girl, mm. and it's implied off screen that yeah, that uh, Alvin beat the shit out of him while um, while uh, what's her name. Uh, Joan Leslie, well, Gracie Williams. Gracie, right. Well, Gra- my, my doggy's name. Well, yeah. Gracie was in the house, well, and, he, and she comes back out, and she's gone. Well, Jason- or he's gone. I, I assume this was not your first time watching this movie, because I, I always assumed, or I, I should say always assumed, I now assume that you named your dog after Gracie in this movie. That's a great that's a great joke, Brendan, and we can joke all day, but the fact remains, and you can't joke about it, that Gracie was named after the whale in Star Trek Four, which in itself was named after Gracie Allen. I believe you mean she was named after the woman in Sergeant York. Woman. Lady. So he yeah, he gets the money all together, but yeah, it's already been sold to Zeb. Zeb's an asshole who doesn't like him. Zeb's dead. He doesn't like Zeb very much. And so he goes, he has a, a bit of a Bill Money moment. He starts drinking again. And yeah. he, and it looks, it doesn't look good. Um, but in the course of this, he, uh, realizes that and the pastor has told him or wait no wait so he yeah gets the pastor again. the pastor right. has has tried throughout the movie to not to not to make him like a god-fearing christian but saying like maybe a little religion wouldn't do you know uh no to harm. get him uh, yeah to get him on the straight and narrow you know it's like he's he, he's no he's not he's no atheist or anything but he uh he's clearly he's more interested in drinking than he is going to church yeah and the pastor, you know, and he, and he asked the pastor, he's like, I, 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 I agree. I think I do need it. But like, how do you know? Well, sometimes it uh, take a while and other times it hit you like a bolt of lightning. It's weird that Walter Brennan is not the drunk in this movie. <laughs> We've seen two movies where he's not the drunk. And I'm like, what is this stunt? Ca- what is this weird, like reverse casting? What, 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 wait a minute, fellas. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Hey, Jim. What are you? Hey, what, cool. what are you doing? Uh, we're just talking about this movie. Look, uh, I just had to step in for a minute. It's oh, just because you're talking about my old pal Walter Brennan. Mm-hmm. Walter Brennan was a delicious pervert, if there ever was one. Uh, 
Oh, oh man. You've tasted The things him? he was into. I, 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 I don't even know what to tell you about it. He was freaky. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Jimmy, why did you feel the need to bring this information to us? Well, I mean, I, 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 I feel if you're going to talk about a person, you, 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 you ought to know the whole story. Sure, sure. I feel like, uh, Jimmy, um, if we did that for every single cast member, we'd be recording this podcast till uh, Thursday afternoon. Well, that's true, but I got—I just had to point it out because Wally, Wally was something. Wally had appetites that you don't even think of. Now, I'm not saying they were were, were were illegal, but they were certainly immoral. Jason, I don't know what to do with this information. Jim, uh, I appreciate your input. Do you mind just heading back to the door? You got it, fellas. I'll be waiting over there. I'm going back to the door now. Wow, that was uh, okay. I think Jim might have been drinking today. I don't know. It kind of smells a bit funny. I mean, just today? Well, that's a good point. He's usually not this. He's usually not like this, though. Well, you maybe okay he's... over there, Jim? Maybe okay. he's just really excited that I got my license. I th- I think so. Yeah. Oh boy! Now he's not even saying I... words. No, I think he. But I think it was. I think it was supportive. Oh, that's good. Okay. Yeah, so Walter Brennan, yeah, he's been trying to get get him some religion, but but it takes it takes him at, at the at the lowest point in his life, grabbing a gun and going out in the rain with the intention I don't know of killing Zeb uh, for his land. I don't know how that's going to work. I don't think that's how the law worked even back then. But thankfully, but, uh, Jason, God strikes him down with lightning. Look, the Lord is watching, and He strikes him down with a bolt of lightning that that somehow doesn't kill him or his horse, mm. but absolutely destroys the gun that he's carrying and and may i just thank the filmmakers for a moment in not trying to show this in a movie this old because it probably would have looked terrible yeah no they they knew what they were working with they knew what they could do and they they did it the way they needed to do it and it worked fine yeah sure yep but it's at that point he realizes that shit i gotta i gotta turn things around i (laughs) i need to get that old time religion and so he becomes a devoted believer. He starts going to church. He cleans up his act. Um, he's teaching Sunday school. He gets to a point in his life where he has finally, like, he's starting to be at peace with himself, and he and he's starting to understand his place in the world. And mm-hmm. he's come to the conclusion that that violence is not the way, killing is not the way. That's not what's in the good book, which is what he believes, and that's how he's going to live his life until. Until at the, at the exact moment he's like, well, you can't live a life with killing. <laughs> well, were declared at, at the exact moment, literally in the church, Walter Brennan is going on about thou shalt not kill. At the same yeah. time, people outside are yelling about war being declared, which is a pretty uh, cool little back and forth. A nice shot. contrast. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so it's 1917, and war has been declared, and uh, the United States starts mobilizing troops, and in doing so, uh, institutes the draft. Mm. And, of course, this may have been the first time, actually, that I think people had to register for selective service. So, like, I think this was the first, like, general draft in U.S. history. I may have to – I may be wrong, but I'm pretty sure. So people had to register. Now, nowadays, when you turn 18 in the United States, you have to register with Selective Service so that your name is in there for when they when they call a draft. Now, they haven't called a draft since Vietnam, but they say. can. But, they, they, but the, the draft is not like a thing anymore, right? It can be. But it's very it, it, like, unlikely? It, it, it's unlikely. Like, But the draft exists 
in a time uh, theoretically it should exist in a time of great peril like in, if the United States is under major threat and they need troops okay theoretically and that's why in World War two and World War one drafting made sense because it was a big conflict whatever then you get to Vietnam and then it becomes a little less uh, a little less clear mm. but they yeah after Vietnam there was no more drafts okay but like I say people still have to register for it because it could happen so you're saying that people just drank their beer out of bottles that's correct mm-hmm Thank you. I'm here all week. Brendan. Uh, so. That's my name. Uh, by the way, thank you for that passive, uh, that was the, this comedian uh, outro. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Brendan. Brendan. <laughs> so, yeah. So uh, he tells, you know, he tells the pa- pastor, tells him, well, you, you got to register. It's the law. And he's like, but I, I don't want to go to war. I, you know, I'm not interested in that. I, I got work to do. I got to, I got to try to get a piece of land. I'm, and you know me, I'm into the Bible and stuff. I don't want to kill people. And he's like, well, you're still going to shine up, and then we'll go write you a letter, get you an exemption. So, and then he asks what an exemption is, because he's, you know, he's a, he's a hillbilly from the holler. He doesn't know what the word exemption means. Doesn't know what <laughs> a lot guy. of words mean. It's fucking dummy over here. Real dumb. But no. uh, yeah, so they apply for an exemption. Um, but. They don't have any luck. They they determine that his religion doesn't have anything that specifically prohibits killing. Uh, but I guess his his particular sect of Christianity isn't particularly unique mm. and isn't considered uh, – it isn't considered – they don't see his belief system as prohibiting him from killing. Right. <laughs> so he – so they, you know, they go to appeal and stuff. But in the meantime, he does join up. He has to go to boot camp. He gets drafted. So he does. Goes down to Camp Georgia with the 82nd All-Americans. Later in World War II, of course, the 82nd would become the first uh, parachute battalion mm-hmm. uh, or parachute unit. I don't know if it would be a battalion. Maybe it would be a, a company. Uh, a, I don't know. I Man, don't know stuff. The people listening are, are angrily uh, typing on their keyboards right now. Actually, I think it might be a division. The 82nd Airborne Division, possibly. Ooh, that was a close but, one. But yeah, but back in World War I, they were just they were just a regular grunt. A bunch of grunts like anybody else. Uh, he goes into training. He does very well in training. And he shows them in training that he's a uh, absolutely top-notch marksman. He mm-hmm. uh, They put a Lee Enfield, or not a Lee Enfield, they put a probably a uh, Springfield in his hand, and he just goes to town. And Yeah, he hits the he, bullseye he actually, like five times in a row or something like that. Yeah. Uh, to the point where he gets brought up to the, uh, the colonel of the unit who's like, dude, you are something. I want to promote you to corporal and put you on training detail so you can teach these guys how to shoot. Mm-hmm. And his position, he's like, yeah, no, I'd like that, but I don't want to be a corporal. Why? Well, I don't want to kill anyone, man. That's, I'm, you know, you know I'm a conscientious, they know he's a conscientious objector. Mm -hmm. And some of the sergeants are actually giving him shit for it. But, you know, he's like, I I don't want to. And so then they begin the process of philosophically trying to convince this guy (laughs) that it's okay to kill. Which is a weird, I mean, I I get this is a sort of propaganda movie. Uh, the U.S. was not in the war, but it was clearly gearing up for war. Jason, they and give him a book that's the history of the United, the history States, of the United States, and that yeah. turns him from God-fearing Christian to murderer. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, he basically accepts the premise that uh, that freedom ain't free, I guess. Well, you know, we got to fight for this freedom. It looks like, Jag uh, Nabbit, it looks like the, the Americans have to fight for their freedom. Well, you know what? I guess I could work alongside God. I could, I could shoot a few, a few Jerry's in the head. He, he takes a more direct route than Desmond did. Desmond just stuck to his guns and, and ironically, and didn't use guns. But mm-hmm. uh, he he overcomes this. Uh, by, I, I guess ultimately we learn later in the movie it's his rationale of saving lives by taking lives. That if he kills, sure. 
uh, three guys in a German machine gun nest, that saves, you know, the the 50 or 100 soldiers that get cut down by by them. But, Jason, I will say this guy, like you said, he doesn't stick to his ideals. Desmond Doss stuck to them the whole time, and he, you know, still known as a, as a major figure in the war. No, uh, uh, the the good sergeant uh, engaged in is something that we as humans are always capable of, which is rationalization. And he came up with a rationalization that worked for him. It's clear to me that he's still not obvious. I don't think he's ever comfortable with this. I the moment that really gets me is later on when they're talking about the 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 kind of big attack and how it's like, how many did you kill? And he's like, eh, I, I wasn't really counting. And then the guy's like, oh, we counted at least 20 or 25. And you can see the look on his face where he's like, I really didn't want to know that. Yeah. Like, he doesn't want to think about it in those terms. Like, he just, he did what he had to do, but he doesn't want to quantify it in his mind as like, that's 25 people that I just murdered. That's, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that's something. But, so yeah, so th- then it comes to, so as I said, the first bit of this movie is basically a, uh, a John Steinbeck novel. Or John then Ford we get movie. into... The last back half of it, which is a pretty pretty cool war movie, uh, with a really cool attack sequence. Like the main the main moment here is the is the action for which um, York was most decorated, uh, and seems to be like the main thing he's known for. I, I didn't I was reading through his Wikipedia page. I didn't see anything else. He's not like Audie Murphy, who just was in like action after action after action. No. Uh, but this was such a big deal where he and his unit uh, had to attack a German position, and. There was what, like I think 17 of them initially. It was a bunch of non-coms and a bunch of privates. Four non-coms and the rest were all privates. And they lost six people, I think. But they managed to uh, not only defeat these Germans, they got a bunch of them to surrender. And then when a bunch of them started turning their machine guns around on them, York single-handedly swept around behind them and like flanked them and took them out. And their unit took out something like 30 machine gun nests in real life. I don't think we see them all in the movie, but mm-hmm. like they, they took out a lot. <laughs> they did and again. Eight, and they, and they captured all these prisoners. So they come hiking back to camp. There's like seven guys and they've got like 130 German prisoners with them. <laughs> <laughs> which on one hand sounds like it is made up. Well, the, but I believe it. Well, that and that also though that goes back to um remember there was a thing in Hacksaw Ridge. So one of the figures yeah. that came up uh, and Mel Gibson was like decided not to use that for the movie cuz he thought it would be too unbelievable even though it was yes. true. So I wonder if that the, was in, ever In the movie they intimate that he saved something like 75 people when in real life it was closer to 150 and he did it with a crushed arm. Yeah. And they I don't, wonder, they I, don't do the crushed arm thing in the movie because it would have been a bit much. <laughs> I, I wonder if that's the case in this movie where they're like, uh, maybe we sh- maybe maybe we just lower it a little bit because people no, might that, think we're being No, that was silly. the actual number. 100 and, 132 prisoners was the real life number no, no, that was cited. No, but I'm just, I'm just saying like... I'm just saying, like, I wonder if that was ever in the conversation. Like, maybe, oh, maybe, no doubt. Maybe if we push, if we actually show the real number, people won't believe us. But I mean, they do it. They do it. So, but you could argue too. This is sort of this is this is a a film with a real propaganda rah rah bent to it. You think? So, yeah, so just a little that, bit. <laughs> so the the that they would just say fuck it, let's just show what happened. As yeah. far as that goes, we don't need to inflate it. It's already inflated. It's <laughs> just by its very nature. So, yeah. But uh, that, yeah, that's so. Yeah, that that in this attack sequence again, 1941. Like, mm-hmm. I, I don't mean to shit on on Air Force, for instance, but this is a much better type, like much better made movie as far as this, especially as far as this attack sequence goes. Like, this is a really good looking World War One sequence mm-hmm. in a Hollywood movie, which we don't even get much today. 
Um, and I really enjoyed it. And I was really impressed by it. And I kind of wish this movie was more war movie, <laughs> obviously. But, uh, uh, you know, what we get is pretty damn cool. Well, shall we get into this a little bit then? Yes. Well, we, uh, yeah, absolutely. Let's let's okay. let's dig in. Jason, I'm gonna I'm gonna say this right now, and I know we usually save this for the end, but I think it's gonna color the the rest of the episode and how I talk about this movie. Did not like this one too much. Interesting. Overall, interesting. Not a huge fan. And I, gotcha. I also will say that the first sixty four minutes of this movie, a real slog for me. <laughs> like, I get what they're doing and i i've, I've certainly yeah. i've seen grapes of wrath i've i've watched uh you know john ford westerns you know that slice of americana yeah. but for, I've, I've actually read east of eden oh yeah and you've watched exit to eden i'm sure <laughs> yeah every every sunday that's my that's my my routine oh. is to watch exit to eden and then and then uh, uh sadly masturbate uh, uh while staring out the window yeah and then go to church of course everybody yeah, does that obviously that's what we do but to me I need a. I think I just needed a little more to latch on to. I think, and I'm going to say something else maybe controversial here. Oscar-winning Gary Cooper in this movie, to me, mm. this is a wooden performance. <laughs> I I don't love the performance. I don't think he's, like, terrible in the movie. And I've certainly seen Gary Cooper, um, better Gary Cooper. Like, High Noon, I think he's really good in that. Because I think it's... It, well, it fits the character here certainly, but to me, to at some time, at some point in this movie, especially when he finds God, quote unquote, um, he gets kind of insufferable. <laughs> like he does a little bit. Yeah, it, it gets too. He almost becomes like a cartoon character to me. Like, and it's just like, gosh, shucks, this guy never, never does a bad thing in his life. Once he finds God and he finds his purpose, he is a perfect american citizen it, it, there definitely is that oh gosh darn shucks kind of like personality that he's playing and it does yeah. and it is it yeah it comes across as gary cooper playing a character and not just a character and i'm sure this is close to how alvin york was yeah, i don't know I if mean, he's like a flawless human being but i'm sure this no. is close to his like personality and stuff but to me it's like it's not nearly as interesting when the character doesn't have anything to like kind of take away from him. Like we're talking about Hacksaw Ridge. I, they're kind of riding the line in that movie too, with Andrew Garfield playing Desmond Doss. But I feel like at least in that movie, there are some moments where you're like, I don't know, Desmond, maybe, maybe, maybe you should fight. Maybe you should do this. Like maybe this is too much. Like there are some moments where the movie is you, has you criticizing him a little bit, but like this one, I feel like he's just so squeaky goddamn clean that it's it's really hard for me to 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 keep my like interest in him as a character he is and 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 that's despite the fact that he's a drunkard in the beginning of the movie that it, it the i guess how we see him as a drunkard he doesn't seem particularly degenerate like he just gets drunk and shoots gun in the woods we've all done that plenty of times I mean, most people do that every weekend brendan there's nothing wrong with getting drunk and shooting guns off it's just uh it just he doesn't come across as a particularly degenerate drunk and it makes like his uh, transition maybe mean less. Yeah. It didn't. Yeah. Like I feel like he doesn't go low enough to get so high up. You know what I mean? Like he doesn't yeah. sink low. I mean, yes, he, he, his whole thing is like, he's trying to get this bottom land so he can bang a 15 year old girl. Um, yeah. But he doesn't, I don't find like he, he doesn't uh, face enough. <sighs> enough shit to like come out the other side as like a totally different man 
Yeah, like his his the the opposition he faces is pretty minimal in comparison to what Dawes goes through in in Hacksaw Ridge. Like Dawes is is given shit pretty much from moment one about being a conscientious objector. And he gets a little bit of that here and there, but it's not even from the men. It's more from the, the sergeants that are training him. Yeah. Uh, well, and okay. And again, I, I say the first 64 minutes of the movie, especially I'd like mm. I, my interest waned a lot, but I will say <laughs> that um, there are a couple of isolated things that I like. Uh, for instance, I think we should probably talk about Margaret uh, Wykerly or Wykerly as mother York. I think she's mm-hmm. great. I think is. that is a character that I'm more interested in because she is a character. Like she, she, it feels like she has uh, a depth to her. I mean, the way she reacts to her son um, uh, outside, like you said, in that in that one of those first scenes, uh, shooting his initials into the tree, and they're like, "Oh, he's a drunk. Oh, he's going around on his horse," and they're making fun of him. And she kind of is like defensive of him, but she's also a little bit ashamed. Like she's she's giving yeah. like a well, nuanced performance, I think. She says, I'm not going to defend him. And then she proceeds to sit there and defend him. <laughs> yeah. But then when you see them together, you can see that there's like a little bit of shame. Right. And she she even oh, yeah. has like his younger brother go and pick him up uh, at the bar, yeah. which turns into, I will say, a, a fun bar fight with the goofiest yes. music. <laughs> goofiest <laughs> bar fight music that gets louder as the bar fight gets crazier. I also love the idea of sending your like the fourteen year old son out with a rifle. He's like, "Yeah, go down to the bar at the border and get your brother back." <laughs> it also seemed crazy to me when they showed his and, and I know they were like younger brothers, but like, can we can we just say Gary Cooper, whether you like him or not in this movie, he's kind of miscast, right? He's too old for this role. I don't know. If, well, I mean, he might be too old. I think. See, my issue with Gary Cooper, and I like Gary Cooper in this, like I, I don't dislike his performance, but I think the issue is is that, and you can see it, there's a lot of other actors in this movie that I think could pull off the kind of dialect that they're doing, whereas when Gary Cooper is doing it, he sounds like an actor doing a dialect. Like, it's not, it, it, I don't know, I, I feel like Walter Brennan, you know, is, and we make fun of him, but I think Walter Brennan does a much better job sounding genuine with that sort of talk than, say, Gary Cooper does, and it affects his performance somewhat because I, I he's just he doesn't seem like the all shuck sort of guy he just doesn't he doesn't have that vibe he's a strong he's a strong western guy like he's not he's not this it's very strange well gary cooper kind of is in real life that all shucks kind of guy though just maybe not the, the the type that this is yeah no he was he was i guess he was always known as being pretty like soft-spoken uh, a man of few words, I guess, at the Oscars when he won his Oscars. Spoiler alert for later in the episode. His speech was uh, pretty brief and so brief and just kind of, you know, humbling and thanks uh, that he left his Oscar on the stage by mistake. So they had to, like, run after him with his statue and be like, uh, Mr. Cooper, you forgot the Oscar that you just won. So oh I guess that kind of close to his personality, but I don't. Like I just, I just feel like there's, there's no life in the behind those eyes. Like he just seems like a, uh, he just seems like a marionette at some point. Like I'm just, I'm just watching him. Maybe and maybe it's because Alvin York was so closely, was so close to this project as was the case many times back in these days, um, where it's like, well, we better make him look really, really good because he's right there, and you don't want to make him well, look like he has any flaws. I mean, it, we see him at the at the end of the movie when he gets all these offers and he decides that he doesn't want to take these offers because, you know, he, he feels like he's making money off of um, 
you know, off of his experience in the war, and that shouldn't be something that he profits from because it was such a horrible thing. But also, I'm like, your family is poor back home. Get some yeah. money for them at least. Yeah, but I mean, that's the thing too. You could argue like uh, money, money corrupts, and I could see what what his point is. Now, obviously, he did do this movie, and as I understand, <laughs> yeah. he did it simply because after much badgering because he was promised that they would build a Bible school uh, for him if he did this movie. And so he did it for that. He allowed it to happen for that reason. He also only did it because Gary Cooper was going to play him. Which is, I mean, hey, and I can see why uh, York would want that. I mean, he was like the biggest yeah. star in the world in these days. Like, sure. <laughs> And listen, um, I, I, I knew, I heard about this kind of criticism. I mean, this movie is obviously well liked and the critics liked it loved it and everything but i did hear about this kind of modern criticism but like oh it's kind of preachy in 2023 yeah. standards and i'm like you know mm -hmm. what i hear that all the time but like i could still enjoy movies like that for the most part but if this character just had a little bit more going on <laughs> i would have i would have gotten into it more like i said like hacksaw ridge this feels to me yeah. like hacksaw ridge done not as well um yeah. and, and even in hacksaw ridge i thought the first like hour is is fine but certainly not as good as when we actually see him in combat and that's not just because i'm like oh give me action scenes i just want action and yeah. boobs but it's just not as yeah. compelling you know um yeah well that's it and uh, it, it just feels weird when you go in expecting a war movie and then you spend an hour in a different movie <laughs> it's kind of like when i watched um the searchers and okay. I was kind of let down by that a little bit because I thought it was so weird and goofy for like so long. And yeah. I was like, isn't this supposed to be like a serious like Western with like criticizing uh, the character that John Wayne plays a little bit? And it just felt too much like a straightforward Western. And I was like, it's not what people said this movie was. Um, Can we talk about Pusher Ross for a sec? I'm sure. The New Yorker. New Yorker, yeah, which is he's playing he's playing a stock character that's been in a million movies, and in fact, we've already seen this stock character in one movie. I think I think it may have actually been an Air Force, was it? Oh, probably. Where he's the New Yorker guy. Yo, we're up and down on the Brooklyn subway. Went down to get some prosciutto down in the fucking. You know what? It could have been Street. You know what? It could have been that. It could have been a walk in the sun. It could have been Hacksaw Ridge. <laughs> it could have been any of these movies. Attack. It was always the New Yorker, and in this case, he's like, oh, I was. Uh, they called me Pusher because I pushed the people in on the train guys on the subway and and then he's got and then of course gary cooper i don't know i was a subway i ain't never seen no subway oh, and he's like oh it's so a train mad. that goes underground i get that he doesn't know what it is but that part made me so yeah. infuriated for some reason <laughs> i was like <laughs> fuck you you've gone to school you've had an education i'm sure at some point you've read about a subway fun fact george tobias uh died in 1980. That is fun. Uh, which is, that is a fun fact. An even more fun fact is that, you know, uh, so he died of bladder cancer. Following a brief but eventful detour en route to the mortician, wherein the momentarily unattended station wagon was hijacked and driven three blocks before Tobias's body was noticed by the culprits who promptly abandoned the vehicle and, according to witnesses, ran screaming from the scene. Wow. <laughs> The, yeah, and then he was taken to his memorial do you, service, So, Do you think the last thing he saw was the opening night of the first Friday the 13th movie in 1980? I think so. Okay. Yeah, uh, February 27th, 1980. Ooh, I don't know then. Maybe he got an early uh, screening. Maybe he saw a preview screening. Yeah, maybe, maybe they were like, I know you, you're a big you're a big uh, F-13 fan. He's like, what the fuck is that? And they're like, we're going to send like you, you were a on preview Bewitched. You love horror movies. Yeah, he was on the set while they made it. Yeah. Um, yeah, okay, we, we, we danced around this issue enough, Jason. We got to talk about the age difference in our leads here. And 
just to be fair, to be fair, to be fair, um, the real Alvin York, but I believe he also married a very young woman, uh, IRL. <laughs> so he, so there you go. Desmond <laughs> Doss has one up on Alvin York. He didn't marry a try to marry a fourteen year old. Um, well, that's cool. It is cool. I thought that was really nice of him to not marry a 14-year-old. Um, but, yeah, Gracie Williams, the real Gracie Williams, uh, he uh, he married her, and she was also uh, very young. And they had 10 children. Hmm. Um, but so, so, I mean, it is – so you could say, yes, okay, it's accurate to the real Alvin York. Did they have to actually cast a 15-year-old actress to play his love interest, though? Because that was a little Yeah, weird. well, I mean, I don't know that we made it better, but the fact is that Gary Cooper was 40 when he made this movie, 40. and I'm pretty sure uh, 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 York was, like, 30 when he went to war, so... So, the, yeah, again, so, the, it, I mean, 30 and 14 is still disgusting. It's <laughs> still huge difference. <laughs> that's that's not okay in any... But, but also, year. like, back then, not that uncommon. Not that uncommon, just gross, though. <laughs> Like, um, but like, I don't know if there's something and, and the fact that Gary Cooper looks old in this movie, I mean, I'm assuming he was a smoker as everyone was back then, but he, he definitely looks 40, if not older. And this girl, Joan Leslie, it looks her age. Like she looks quite young, um, in the movie. And I guess Alvin York was like, when you cast the girl to play my wife, I want you to get a non-smoker. And I want you to get some with a very youthful look. And they were like, well, what's more youthful than an actual teenager? Why not? Barely out of her childhood. I mean, granted, this movie is released in 1941, so there's no, like, hardcore fucking, thank God. But, I mean, (laughs) even when they kiss, and I know it's like the old Hollywood kiss, but even when they do that, I was, like, a little bit uncomfortable. (laughs) Yeah. By the way... Alert, alert. There is one person that is still alive that was in this movie. Gary Cooper. No. No, he died like... June Lockhart. He died like 60 years ago. <laughs> he died in 1961. Yeah. Uh, June Lockhart, who played uh, uh, his sister in the movie, uh, she was born in 1925, so she would have been about 16 when this movie came out. Uh, she is still alive. She's 98 years old wow. living in New York City. Wow. Well, good on you, June Lockhart. Smartest person in the movie. She, uh, Wikipedia says, with a career spanning nearly 90 years, she is one of the last surviving actors of the golden age of Hollywood. Wow. Yeah, because we just lost uh, Olivia de Havilland, like, only last year we or something. We did, yes. Yeah. And she was over 100, I think. There's something to be yeah. said about oh, yeah. all these, like, older, uh, all these, like, old Hollywood actors living so long. <laughs> it's like, how? You, how? But the things they put in their bodies... I know. To be fair, the a lot of them. The life they lived in the studio system days, Jesus Christ. To be fair, a lot of them died. So. <laughs> I know a lot of them did, but it's it's amazing the genetics of the ones that got through. Like, That's true. Yeah. They're the uh, I call, June Lockhart is the Ozzy Osbourne of acting. I was just gonna call. I was just gonna say. I call it the Keith Richards theorem. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like how in the world? I guess if you just keep doing the bad stuff, you'll just never die. Yeah. Exactly. Um. So I do you now we talk there's a lot of religion obviously in this movie and like you said it's a propaganda piece it's very much like well he found god and I mean that's really what happened with Alvin York whatever but I will say the one positive thing I do like about this whole religious message is that there is a moment where York kind of says and I think you alluded to it earlier when you were talking about the plot um where he tells Walter Brennan like 
you can't force someone to accept religion. They just kind of have to find it on their own, which I thought was like yeah. a, a decent message for the movie. Like to say, like, you can't, you can't just like convert someone. Like you can't just say, well, you should just love Jesus now. Like they kind of have to come to it of their own accord. And you know, if they're, yeah. it, they, they know about it and they're like, well, maybe this will help me kind of find balance in my life, which, you know, I thought had some merit to it. That was, that was a good way mm-hmm. to put it especially for a movie in 1941. Yeah, I mean and, and this is a story that, you know, like the the finding the finding the Lord and and being a better person trope. I mean, that's been around for a long time. Plenty of movies have done it. So this was, you know, just one in the longest line. Yeah, we've all we all remember line, we all remember Pootie Tang and how that worked out. Absolutely. And the redemption of Pootie Tang. The redem- yeah, the passion <laughs> of Pootie Tang, the passion of the Tang. <laughs> Yeah. Oh my. What a great uh what a great piece of art. Um We talk about a little bit of Hacksaw Ridge. I mean, it's almost framed the same as Hacksaw Ridge. Like the first half is I guess in Hacksaw Ridge the first half is mo- is a lot of that is the training and stuff, but the first half of it is not really a war movie and then the second half of it is the war movie part. And that's kind of what happens with this movie. Like the first half like you said is a giant John Steinbeck novel, John Ford western, whatever. And then the second half is the war stuff, like where he actually starts going to war, the battles. Um again, if Mel Gibson was like put his uh put his hand on the Bible and his other hand in the air and said, "I have never seen Sergeant York." I would be like, "You sir are committing Whatever that word is in court when you lie. You understand. Bearing false witness. Yeah. There's a word for that, though, and I don't recall what it is. Perjury. You're committing perjury, yeah. sir. There you go. That's what I would say to Mel Gibson. And then I, w- I would say, your your greatest crime, sir, is perjury. That you haven't seen Sergeant York. The worst thing you've ever done. What a monster. <laughs> um, The look of the movie is is pretty, I'd say. I'll give it that compliment. I I do think that it's very like set heavy though. <laughs> like you you mentioned the war scenes look good, but to me like it looked okay. But I thought there was like it looked very like filmed on a soundstage to me. Some of it did, yeah, but uh, some of it felt like it wasn't. Like some of it did feel, definitely feel like it was shot outside. Yeah, but I don't know. I'm not a I'm not a film expert. Well, Jason, I know <laughs> you really you liked the second. Uh, half of this movie a lot more is there any like big moments in the second half you kind of kind of i guess like stood out to you or because there is there is one for me but uh, i wanted to see what you got well in the second half yeah like when he goes to war and everything yeah well i mean the attack specifically is the thing that stands out for me like watching that play out watching him flanking around those germans getting all those germans to surrender and then they just and then and then the point of like wandering around the lines trying to figure out where the hell a their unit is and b where to dump these guys because mm. <laughs> there's only seven of them they can only keep them under control for so long yeah yeah um and again if this was not based on a real person and i didn't and i I didn't if i didn't know that i'd be like this is ridiculous (laughs) like this is silly but i also thought i also didn't really like this strange moment near the end because they 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 kill uh pusher right yeah uh and pusher's killed by a perfidious german soldier who pulls a a grenade out of his pocket and tosses it over at uh at, at pusher and kills him and then York at that point this is a, this is a, a a real indicator of the shift in his personality York who you know 
for an hour of this movie wouldn't even entertain the idea of killing someone summarily executes a German soldier who's running away. Oh, yeah. I mean, now, to be fair, he's not... To be fair? To be fair. He's not the only guy that's shooting at him, but he pulls out his pistol and shoots at him. And also, I don't know why he has a pistol. He's a sergeant. I don't think sergeants had pistols, but maybe I'm crazy. Gary Cooper requested it. He's got a special pistol. Um, he says, uh, I bring my pistol to everything. You tell me I can't use my pistol? Does. Who are you? I'm Gary Cooper. Get him away. Now, maybe I'm wrong. If there's anybody out there that can tell me, I always assume pistols were an officer thing, so let me know. Yeah, Let it, let us know. Tweet us. X us. Um, uh, that's, that's, yeah. Well, I was what about say, you? Well, the thing, the scene that really stands out to me, and this is, <laughs> I'm sorry, Jason, the only scene that really stands out to me in the second half is when they're in the trench, um, and they're kind of like talking about, and you hear these, like, I guess they're bombs, these bombs being yeah. tossed and you hear the like, Beep, right. And the one soldier has been there for so long that he's like, don't worry. I know exactly where they're going to land based on the sound. And, you know, he's like, oh, duck, this one's coming at us. Or he's like, oh, no, that one's going to pass us. It's too, uh, it's too far. Oh, that one's uh, not even going to make it to us. And it's just like to think about that a guy who's been in the shit for so long that he could tell like just based on the sound. Yeah. Well, and and if you look at that scene, look at those two guys playing the British soldiers. Number one, their accents are not great. They're not British actors, but (laughs) they've got the look. Like if you look at how they look compared to these new green U S troops that just came in, they are shadows of men. They are haunted guys, even though they're, you know, they've got that bit of cheery Britishness, you know, stiff upper lip, let's carry on kind of thing. Mm -hmm. You can tell they've been through the shit. And and that actually is the movie or the moment where our our hero gets his first taste of blood when his friend Bert gets killed by a shell. Yeah, and and that's another thing um, is they have a good line here where when he does get killed, um, the one the one of the guys one of the British guys says, "Well, thing is, if one's got your name on it, there's nothing much you can do." Basically, like we can yeah. we can kind of guesstimate where they're gonna land, but you know what? If they're gonna land close to us, one of you might die, and there isn't a thing we can do about it. You never hear the one that gets you, but then the guy's like, no, you think of it the other way. If you hear it, you have a chance. Yeah. But, I mean, if you run out, then you just get shot. Yeah. So, it's, uh, I, I will say, uh, uh, controversial statement here. Um, war was difficult. Yeah. War, all wars suck, uh, and each has their own challenges. Mm-hmm. Um... I'm trying to think of any other big things I want to mention, but I'm not. Well, the one big thing I'll mention that I, I thought was an interesting metaphor okay. and I think worked in the in the terms of the movie was the rock in the field. Put on your tiny film glasses when you do that. Putting on my tiny film glasses now. Okay. Um, the rock in the field. He had this rock in his field that, that he had continued. It's been in his field forever. He couldn't move it, so he just plowed around it, right? And when he kind of found his newfound uh, gumption... You know, when he when he kind of stops drinking and is putting his nose to the grindstone trying to uh, get that land, he starts working on getting that stone out. And they fail a couple of times, but I think eventually they get it. And it's clearly a metaphor for what he's going through in his head, that he's got this this stone, this alcoholism, this listlessness, this, this lack of purpose, lack of religion even. It's this big stone in his head, and it takes him a while, but he finally, he finally dislodges it. Jason, and he you, worked, and he's on his way to being a better person. I deem you honorary small film glasses, man. Why? Thank you. That is that is a good metaphor that I didn't even notice. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> 
Um, yeah, and I mean, I guess the other thing I'll say is getting struck by lightning and suddenly finding God. I mean, come on. Come on, movie. Why not? <laughs> it's, again, this this movie is a movie is a, a propaganda movie. It's an old time movie. This is very much in line with what I expect. <laughs> oh, oh, and you know what? Actually, there's one more big thing. It's the sure. overwrought use use of music in this movie. When he is yeah. just like standing there, when the commander is making his case about how you could still be religious and still fight in the war, literally mm. America the Beautiful is playing yeah. in the background. Like, come <laughs> on. <laughs> when he's sitting on the cliff with the old hound dog. Yes. It's like, well, first of all, where did that dog come from? I don't think he had a dog yeah, before. It, well, they, they know he's home, so I assume he went home to get the dog. Does he have a dog? I never think he had a dog. Well, I mean, he may not have had a dog when he left, but there was a dog there when he came home. And, and he just sits on the cliff contemplating his decision with, like, Star Spangled Banner and all this shit just playing yeah. in the background. And he's got the he's got both the Bible there and the Book of American History. And he starts reading the Bible, but then he starts digging into the Book of American History. And then when he starts over the get, course of the week, yeah. <laughs> and then when he starts getting famous, they start playing Dixie, and I'm like, ooh. <laughs> Which yes, I hey, I feel you, but he is from Tennessee. So oh, yeah. I mean, they they talk about there's a scene where they're all at dinner. He's when it's with his family, and and somebody does mention like, well, remember when we fought those those Union boys. So I mean, he... my grandpappy fought in the revolution, and my 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 granduncle fought the uh, fought the Yankees. Yeah, and that's now the he one. was going to fight the Germans. Yeah, yeah, same same enemy. <laughs> yeah. Um. Okay. Well, maybe we should uh, take our 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 man legally mandated station break here, and uh, and maybe it won't be a, a long station break. I don't know. I don't put the commercials in, uh, but we are going to take a break, and we will be right back. Hey, y'all. This is Zeke from Down in the Holler. Do y'all got a radio? Do y'all got a computer? Do y'all got one of them fancy tiny computers you can hold in your hand? Well, if you do, you gotta check out Age of Radio. It'll get all them little people you like, and it'll put them down in your tiny little box so you can hear them any time of the day, anywhere you want. This is God's true next technology. So sign up today, check it out, ageradio.org. It's for everyone, even hillbillies like you. Yes, it's me, Sergeant York. I sound a little different than I did in the movie, but that's because my name's the actual Alvin York. Now these boys are gonna tell you about some bits and some bobs. Let me tell you first my story. It'll only take about forty-five minutes or so. No, Alvin, you you can't do that. You gotta just introduce the bits and bobs, please. This is just too long. My apologies. It'll only take about twenty or twenty-five minutes. No, Alvin, no. Just fucking say it's bits and bobs. Okay. Bits and bobs. Thank you. Bits and bombs, by the way. My bad. I just wanted to get him out of here. No, that was Alvin's bad. Yeah. Hey, folks, you need me to uh, stick around and tell you how I grew up in the in the in the bayou. Yes, that's right. I grew up in the bayou. No, oh, this movie was a lie. I gotta say, this movie was very inaccurate. I grew up in the bayou and I fought in Korea. Anyway, gotta go. Wow. Okay, Alvin C. York. Well, he just did your accuracy. You just did your accuracy section, Jason. Apparently, this is the most inaccurate movie we've ever done. Yeah, Jesus and, Christ. And we did a movie uh, about a fake war. Yeah, we did too. That is true. It was called Hacksaw Ridge. <laughs> <laughs> World War II is a lie. <laughs> that would be the wildest conspiracy theory. Not the, well, one of them. <laughs> Never happened. 
Yeah. Never happened. Not the, not, not a Holocaust to... denier. An entire World War II denier. <laughs> Germany nope, doesn't it's exist. all good. Doesn't exist. Not a real place. Uh, this movie did remind me of the George Carlin line that the only good thing about religion is the art and the music. Because there's some really good music in this movie. But it's as a far lot. as the the church stuff goes. Say, but it's a lot though. Oh yeah, no, and I'm not talking about like the incidental music. I'm talking like the singing in the church. Because oh, and yeah. and at one point, like I wrote down, oh, he needs to get that old time religion. Well, sure enough, later in the movie, they sing the actual song. <laughs> Got to get that old time religion. Got that old time religion. Um, I will say that the movie starts uh very patriotic, but then also at the same time kind of advocates for peace. Which I think ties into this little bit of trivia that I read um, is that when the movie was being made, public opinion in America was strongly isolationist, and mm-hmm. Warner Brothers was worried that it would be condemned as uh, the movie being too too pro war in attitude. So they went to they avoided marketing the movie as a war picture. But by the time the movie came out, Adolf Hitler had conquered much of Europe, and the public attitude towards war had changed quite a bit. So that obviously led to the movie being as successful as it was. How do you how do you hide it's a war movie when it's called Sergeant York? No, they, I mean they, just that they were not marketing it towards that so much. Maybe focusing more on the small town stuff. Sounds like this was the frighteners of its day, babe. Yeah, the, definitely, Dennis. That's exactly what it was. The frighteners <laughs> of 1941. Who made this movie? Peter Jackson and it was a studio. Did they recut it into something he didn't think it was going to be in the trailer, babe? Hey, Peter Jackson, I liked uh, your work better when it was just a box of cigarettes, babe. <laughs> Dennis, get the fuck Thanks, out Dennis. <laughs> Yes, that bar fight is a good bar fight. It's silly. The music is silly. Uh, it's just, it's just, it's like a, it's yeah, it's it's like they're really having fun. I think they're really having a fun drunken western type bar brawl. There's some drunk logic. And this is in a cool bar that is right on the border of uh, uh, Tennessee and uh, uh, was it Kansas? Yeah, I think so. Anyways, or or anyways, the point was that the bar is right on the border. So on yeah. one side of the border, they can't sell booze, but on the other side of the border, they can. So you got to walk across the bar to get drinks. Right on the border of Tennessee and California. Yeah. Mm. Um, I do. Uh, there, there is some drunk logic um, when they're having a conversation in the bar, and one of them says like, yeah. "Well, what do we drink to now? We've drank, we drank to everything. It's like, well, we'll just go around the bend again and start drinking to it from the beginning." And I was like, that's that's some pretty <laughs> yeah. that's some that's some drunk logic. Although now I don't think people need things to drink to. I think they just be like, let's just drink. By the way, the 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 best the best moment in the fight is the is one of the few comedy beats in this movie where as they're fighting, somebody gets thrown against the pia- the player piano and they grab the speed thing on the player piano and turn it down so that starts playing slower and everybody kind of like starts to calm down in the fight. Yeah. <laughs> Um, he also seems to think that uh, uh, Gracie is only after his uh, like land and money, which is obviously not true. Yeah. But uh, basically, the the earliest version, I guess, of a gold digger. Um, well, but yeah, but you have to understand too. Like in those days, women often it wasn't a question of like being some sort of gold digger or bitch, but where you didn't have any other option, you wanted to marry well because you knew that that was going to be your support, right? right? But I'm saying he so was wrong. Though that's why huh? I'm saying he was wrong about her, though. 
Oh no, he was wrong about her, but but I I don't think he's like coming from a place of necessarily assuming that she's a gold digger that wants to. It's that he assumes that she wants a man who can provide. He wants, and he doesn't feel that he can be that man that can provide. And he feels that way throughout the entire movie, even until they get to the end of the movie when he's still like, "Look, we're gonna have to put off getting married. I'm gonna have to go back to work and make some money. Yeah, uh, and then maybe we can talk about getting married and we can get that. And then it turns out that the um, uh, I think in the movie they say the state, but it actually was like a group of Kentucky businessman bought him a house after the war and that bottom land that he wanted land. yes and the bottom see land he thinks he, so he, he was he thought that she was into his bottom land but she was really just into his bottom that's right i wonder if they got married and he's he like he, he got married and he's like now now we just have to wait about four years till you're legal just like just like the man in uh, 2025 uh, or what the fuck was that called <laughs> yeah 2021 uh, yeah COVID who cares bullshit 2025 conspiracy. the the year the year something. The year we made contact. Know, who cares? Yeah, that's it. That, that's that, it. Nobody cares. It's the German COVID conspiracy movie. Look it up, people. Yeah. Or don't. Yeah. Don't. Uh, do, actually, don't. Just, just don't. Just listen to the other podcast. You might hear about it. Uh, after that, after he gets brought home from the fight, he <laughs> mom throws a bucket of water on him. Uh, they have breakfast, and then he has to immediately, him and his brother both, after having no sleep all night, immediately have to go out and start doing all the chores for the day. So he's hung over on no sleep and plowing a field. Uh, but he does it still. That's the thing about, about York. Even even if he is a drunkard, he still gets his chores done. I thought it was uh, I thought it was a little mean that this uh, great, big, happy, fun woman was uh, being fat-shamed an awful lot at the bar. They were throwing a lot of nasty one-liners at her. Um, just wanted to point that out. Well. Yeah, I do like when uh, when uh, when Zeb and um, Alvin get into a fight over who is the better fiddler. Okay. <laughs> and Gracie says the line, "Look, there ain't no call for fussling over a fiddler." Classic argument, by the way. <laughs> Always the- just small town problems. Yeah, and when I when I get good and loaded, that's what I debate. Are you saying that Kenny G is better saxophonist? than... <laughs> And Bill Clinton? I don't think so. Uh, did you watch Arsenio, or did you watch it with your ears plugged? So then we have a whole section of this movie where he's working to get that land, and he's living out, you know, or he's trying to achieve the American dream, like, very directly. He's working his butt off, saving his money up every day. And it's kind of interesting in a propaganda movie that uh, that he he does all the work, he, he, works, he works his ass off, he wins that fucking competition, and he still doesn't get the house. Yeah, because the guy already sold it on him. Well, yeah. all that work and it didn't pay off. I mean, Jason, they got to bring him real low to bring him up high, right? He's got to he's got to take. Yeah, a no, real all hit. he had to do to get a house was go to war, put his life on the line, and capture 132 German soldiers and kill 25 or 30 of them himself. And if that's all that's it all takes, he had to do. if that's all it takes, that's all it takes to get a house. What's wrong with the rest of us? Yeah, um, I got like I said, he has this Bill Money moment. He starts drinking again. Oh. I want to ask you something. When he goes to, um, when he's shooting all these targets in uh, boot camp, how much are they paying those guys that stand behind those targets? Because <laughs> that seems like a yeah, dangerous Yeah, no, probably not job. very much. <laughs> I mean, they've, they've got a big, like, like, thing in front of them that will absorb the shots. But, of course, this is, like, 1917, so you don't know exactly how safe it is. That's what I'm thinking. Like, because they're, they're standing up after the shot, and they're looking at it like, well, that's a bullseye. It's like, is someone going to yell yeah. that they're, that don't shoot yet? We're looking right now? That's <laughs> what they got the flags for. Oh, uh, I, I feel like I was waiting for, like, a, a jarhead moment there where <laughs> someone yeah. stood up a little too quick. <laughs> a little Starship Troopers action. 
uh, one mo- one thing I don't like, and this is not just the movie. This is probably about religion in general. But he, you know, after he kind of like finds God and he starts to get right, he he starts talking about his anger and he's blaming Satan for his anger that Satan was in him. I hate that shit because it's taking responsibility from yourself. It wasn't fucking Satan. You were angry. And you're blaming it on Satan when you were the one that was angry and you need to deal with that anger. But no, we'll just say Satan was the problem. I, I just love how he, th- this movie goes from aw shucks to like mowing human beings down. Yeah. Like without uh, like he <laughs> he has a moment where he literally like so when he's doing the turkey shoot, he's trying to get this turkey and its head keeps poking up and he goes. He makes like a turkey call and he and he plugs it. Right. Mm-hmm. He does that same thing in combat. He's got two Germans that are popping their heads up and he can't get a beat on him. And so he gives the and of course they look up and like, what the fuck? And he shoots them. <laughs> Essentially equating them to turkeys to like dumb yeah, turkeys. turkey it was turkey shoot he literally does do a trench of germans the thing he tells the guys how to shoot turkeys where he's like you don't shoot the first turkey in a line because then they'll all scatter you shoot the last one and then you, and then you shoot them in line so that they don't know that any of them are dead so you can get them all yeah. and that's basically what he does to a bunch of germans that are are focused on he flanks them and they're focused on the fight ahead of them and he's just plugging guys as they go and he gets about five, six, seven of them down until they finally notice what's going on, and they all fucking surrender to him. Yeah, pacifist Alvin York. <laughs> yeah, but like I say, the, the, I think there is a little bit of controversy about this uh, based on what I saw on Wikipedia. But I think it generally is accepted that he did, him and his unit did do this. They did take all these prisoners, um, and he wasn't the only guy in the war that did stuff like this. I know there's a famous moment that we see here in Canada. Uh, on TV about guys, about a guy that took like 10 or 11 prisoners all by himself. World War II, we have, we know the story of Leo Major, who uh, attacked a town, who basically attacked a town single-handedly and took all the Germans there prisoner. Yeah. <laughs> like, it can happen. Yeah, we both know that story for sure. He's a New Brunswick, he's a New Brunswick legend, Brendan. New Brunswick, New Jersey? No, New Brunswick, Canada, oh. where you live. Oh, that's where I live. Yeah. And I legally drive. And legally drive. That's right, baby. Because I'm a Corey. You'd be pulling all the strange. <laughs> Mariah might have something to say yeah, about don't that. don't air this. <laughs> oh, and he... So the guy he was going to buy the land from obviously is scared of him and thinks he's going to kill him because he had also sold him his mule and a bunch of stuff. Um, he comes back to him at one point and they kind of bury the hatchet. He says that he got religion and he wants to buy the mule back. And so the guy offers it to him for $20 because he's that nice a guy and they're friends again. Yeah. We're still not to the war yet, Jesus. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it was it was the 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 combination of the pastor saying "Thou shalt not kill," then cutting to "War declared, war declared." Yeah, it was gen- genuinely. I will say that was a that was a cool little transition. Yeah the uh, the moment when we actually get over to the to like Camp Gordon, I think, is a uh, one hour Lightfoot. fourteen minutes and thirty six seconds is where we show up to Camp Gordon and we're in the Lightfoot. military proper part of the film. Huh? Camp Gordon Lightfoot. Sunshine, you better take care. <laughs> you know what I thought you were gonna find s- you've been creeping around my back. Camp. You know what I ever thought you were gonna sing? Not a Gordon Lightfoot what? song. When you were starting, I thought no. you were gonna start singing "Under the Boardwalk." You know that. <laughs> it's uh, a great song, but well, you know that fa- that that famous yeah. Bruce Willis song. Yes, of course. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Bruno! It was big until Bruce made it great. 
of course, yeah, we, we talked about the silliness of kind of the, the propaganda end of it of like, oh, they basically go on a freedom jag telling him like, oh, son, we got to protect our freedom. And that changes his mind. And he's all of a sudden ready to kill. Actually, the other thing that gets him is the the, the render under, under Caesar in the Bible, which, you know, the render under Caesar, what is Caesar's and render under God, what is God's. Yeah. The idea that, you know, just because you're religious doesn't mean you shouldn't, you know, obey the law and, and do what's required by the government uh, because that's what Caesar wishes. But what's God's, you render to God. And that helps him, uh, you know, get into that. Now, they talk about God or country, but which is it, bud? Which is it? What do you put first? Yeah, thank, That's what you got to ask. Thank you, convenient Bible passage. Yeah. That's 96 minutes in and we're at the front. <laughs> of this 134-minute movie, by the way. <laughs> yep. Uh, turning the machine guns around, that was a cool bit. So you have the Germans have all surrendered. But the other guys haven't. The other Germans that are back there haven't. And they turn the machine guns around and open up on the guys behind them, which, of course, they at least give their countrymen time to duck. <laughs> mm-hmm. Which also, I wonder, is like, is ducking in that situation considered perfidity? But I don't think it is because you're just trying to save yourself. You're not You're not necessarily encouraging the attack. Yeah. But uh, they go and they, yeah, you get those guys. He, he cuts down a bunch of guys with a Luger he picked up, it seems. Mm-hmm. Single-handedly takes out a trench of Germans by himself. <laughs> like... Damn, like this guy's a fucking by the I mean and I believe it because there's been plenty of soldiers in other wars that have done stuff even in more insane than he did in this war. So. By the way, Jason, I know you'll appreciate this as a as a war uh, history buff, aficionado, whatever you want to call yourself mm. these days. Um but the, uh, the 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 Luger that he uses in the movie was at, was not the actual gun that Alvin York used. Uh, apparently he used a 1911 45 ACP automatic. The, okay. the Luger was yeah, chosen the for classic. The Luger, the Luger was chosen for the movie um, because they couldn't get the forty-five to fire blanks, and I'm assuming they didn't want a uh, crow situation. True. I mean, yeah, okay. Because if it was a forty-five, it would make sense. That, like, if, uh, if it was a nineteen eleven, yeah, that, then clearly that's his gun. Yeah. But yeah, him firing a Luger, it looks like he picked up a gun. So, right. Whatever. Um, I thought it was kind of a weird moment. I, I, I didn't think it was. I thought it was maybe I, I, you don't have to. You don't have to shit on the losers sometimes. And there's a moment where the German soldiers are being brought out in a very discordant version of the German national anthem plays. And I thought, OK, that's a bit much, guys. We don't need to mock them as they've surrendered. Also, this was also also this was World War One, Germany. We don't have to be that harsh to them. We understand it's the war sucked for everybody. Yeah. Whatever they were, they, they they sucked, but they weren't Nazis. Not yet. Um, not yet. Uh, he gets a military medal from Ferdinand Focht, and all, and I know that because uh, uh, I understand a little bit of French, and I could tell that uh, he implied or he said that he was General Focht. Mm-hmm. Um, so he gets a military medal from Focht, which I think ultimately is like the the Legion of Honor in France. He gets a Distinguished Service Cross that later gets upgraded to a Congressional Medal of Honor. Then he gets awarded from fucking Blackjack John Pershing himself, the overall commander of American Expeditionary Forces in World War uh, One, and uh, a motherfucker too, um, in good ways and bad. Uh, he gets a hero's welcome when he comes back. They get a, a legit ticker tape parade mm-hmm. and an independent spirit see those much award. Anymore. And a what? <laughs> I, an Independent Spirit Award. Yeah, an Independent Spirit Award is what he gets next. I, I do like, again, another fun little like m- comedy bit, but also not comedy because it ties back, but where they ask him what he wants to do while he's in New York, and he says, I'd like to ride the subway in Bronx. Yeah, well, it's a, it, it's a bit of a comedy throw. But Which is it's nice. All, it, it's a nice moment of remembrance for Pusher. Well, I was going to say, yeah, it, it, it doubles as a comedy 
callback, but also a little memoriam thing for Pusher, who died in the most dramatic Hollywood way possible. Uh, and then the last thing I'll mention is he gets to phone home because the technology was new at that time. And I guess the pastor had gotten a phone installed. And so he was able to call them and they could shout at each other over the phone because they couldn't hear each other and, uh, you know, touch base. It, it is kind of interesting overall to see a period piece in a movie that would be now considered a period piece. Yeah. I know it's weird. It's uh, it's it's interesting though, because then it it shows what was what was a a nineteen forties view on what that era was like. What was the, I mean, because it must have been steeped in some nostalgia, for that time. Like it does, it comes across as like a simpler, you know, a simpler time, living in the holler, and you know, not not no not no problems beyond the holler. It's kind of like watching Grease, which is a seventies movie about the fifties. Yeah. So I think that's sure. I think that's cool. All right, you want you want some uh, trivia about this here Dagnab uh, Plum movie? Yes. Okay. Well, just a little bit of trivia about this movie. So Alvin York himself was on the set for a few days during filming, and when one of the crew members decided to just walk up to him and ask him how many quote Jerry's he had killed, um, York just started sobbing on the set and threw up. Like he was just like disgusted Ugh. that. He, somebody would ask him that and the crew member was nearly fired but the next day york uh demanded that he keep his job so i mean that's because i mean speaks pretty well to him that that's the and that's really i mean hearing that story that's very progressive of york like because yeah. he understands he that people are going to ask that shit he should have been fired to be honest if you he probably film etiquette fired, but also that he was a class that he was a class act yeah and then he was like no this guy didn't know he because it's it's not a crazy thing that people back then might ask a soldier, even though nowadays it's not something you would really talk about. No, it was not the um, way to ask. Let's just say that. But that that's really cool because, I mean, it's not cool, but it, it's really interesting because it ties back into him in the movie mm. not wanting to discuss that, not wanting to say anything and having that look of disgust yeah. and kind of unsettlement. Just simple set uh, on his face. Guys, don't do that shit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So, like you said, uh, he was a, Alvin York was approached many times trying to make this movie. His quote was, "This uniform ain't for sale." Um, and then the producer, producer convinced York that with war threatening in Europe, it was his patriotic duty to allow the film to proceed. Uh, York finally agreed, uh, only on the conditions of, like you said, he wanted uh, contributions. To, uh, York's share of the profits would be contributed to a Bible school he wanted to be to build. Second. No cigarette smoking actress could be chosen to play his wife. And third, only Gary Cooper could uh, could play him. Cooper actually turned down the role at first, but then when York uh, himself contacted the star, he agreed to do it. Strangely, yeah. strangely, York did not mind the fact that Cooper was all, was a chain smoker. <laughs> um, Gary Co- as long as he didn't smoke on screen. That's right. Well, as long as he wasn't playing his, his wife, his 15-year-old wife. Um <laughs> I talked about, about Gary Cooper's acceptance speech being brief and him forgetting his Oscar on the stage. So the, the speech was essentially this. It was Sergeant Alvin C. York who won this award. Shucks, I've been in this business 16 years and sometimes dreamed I might get one of these things. That's all I could say. Funny, when I was dreaming, I always made a good speech. And then he walked off. <laughs> um, Gary Cooper, too, uh, unable to participate in World War II due to his age and, an, and a hip injury, um, was glad to participate in this film because it felt like it was his kind of contribution to the cause. 
Um, he said that uh, the real Alvin York and him had a few things in common. Uh, we bo- they were both raised in the mountains, Tennessee for him and Montana for Gary Cooper. Uh, and they learned to ride and shoot as a natural part of growing up. He said, Sergeant York won me an Academy Award, but that's not why it's my favorite film. I liked the role because of the background of the picture and because I was portraying a good, sound American character. This is a, a guy who, by the way, Gary Cooper, just FYI, he did um, he did get called up by HUAC at one point. He did not name names, but he was not a fan of communism. He did uh, the preservation of ideals, that whole thing in Hollywood. Um, but he also he also defended one of his buddies who was about to be blacklisted and would still take scripts by him and just kind of secretly help him out. Um, and then because of that, this script, this screenwriter always contacted Gary Cooper to see if he wanted to be in the movie. Um, and he had to turn it down most times because he was getting older and sicker and everything. Yeah. But just, just but he, I guess I understand. He felt he owed him. It's like every oh, time yeah. he makes a movie, he's like, Gary, I got to ask. You want in? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, this won't shock you, Jason, but the scene of, uh, of, of York being converted to Christianity because of a bolt of lightning was an invention of the screenwriters. <laughs> in, rea- <laughs> in reality, York was converted um, to a... Uh, by a Sunday, by his wife uh, via a Sunday school teacher, and it was a longer and less dramatic process. <laughs> um, yeah. There were stories at the time of young men leaving the movie theaters after seeing this film and signing up immediately for war uh, because war fever was particularly high at this point because the attack on Pearl Harbor had just happened. It was released shortly after that. Um, they actually had a hard time uh, casting this movie too because a lot of young male actors were... Uh, were needed to play soldiers and they were basically forced to go to universities and hire students to play them because a lot of them were going off to war uh, during the draft in 1941. Um, Let's see. This movie earned Walter Brennan his fourth Academy Award nomination um, and it was the only time out of the four times that Brennan did not take home the Oscar. This is an interesting story. So he actually was kind of embarrassed that he won three Oscars because he thought it was a little uh, bit of a rigged vote because in the early years of the Oscars, uh, the extras union was given the right to vote as well in the academy, and he felt like like extras for some reason they loved Walter Brennan. They were just like is it, they, he was their buddy. I guess he probably was really nice <laughs> to them on set, and he they, probably just treated them with basic human decency, right? So they loved him, and so every time he was up for one, they all fucking voted for him. But it was there were so many extras in the union that he kept winning. So yeah. after his third win, um, they got they didn't let that union vote anymore. <laughs> uh, but Sergeant York was a success at the box office. It was the highest grossing film of 1941. Um, film helped recruit soldiers. Like I said, somebody went straight from the theater to recruitment. I mean, it sounds like it might be an urban legend, but I bet you that happened. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, according to Warner Brothers, the movie earned uh, $6 million domestically and uh, just over $2 million internationally. And on Rotten Tomatoes, this movie has an 88% rating with an average with an average rating of 7.4 out of 10. Jason, this movie definitely goes to the Oscars. There are so many nominations, so I will just run through them real quick here. It is nominated for Best Black and White Cinematography. The winner that year is How Green Was My Valley. Uh, it was nominated for Best Interior Art Direction, Black and White. How Green Was My Valley won that. Best Sound Recording, the winner that year was That Hamilton Woman. Uh, best scoring of a dramatic picture. Uh, the winner was All That Money Can Buy. Great movies. Um, uh, recognizable movies here. Um, best original screenplay was nominated for. The winner that year was a movie you may have heard of called Citizen Kane. 
Uh-huh. <laughs> Best Supporting Actress. Mary Wykerly was actually nominated, who plays Mama York. Um, but the winner that year was Mary Astor for The Great Lie. Uh, mentioned Walter Brennan was up for Best Supporting Actor. The winner was Donald Crisp for How Green Was My Valley. Best Director, Howard Hawks. The winner was John Ford for directing How Green Was My Valley. And Best Picture in a year that saw Citizen Kane's release. <laughs> Best Picture did not win, but the winner was How Green Was My Valley. How Green Was My Valley. It fucking swept. Definitely nothing to do with politics uh, for the reason of Citizen Kane not winning. But it does win two. It wins two Oscars, Jason. Obviously Best Actor, Gary Cooper, but do you know what the other one might be? Uh, best costumes. No, it wins for best editing, best film editing. Oh. Uh, okay. BAFTAs don't exist yet, so nothing there. But, Jason, we come to the end. I think uh, my thoughts are pretty clear, so maybe you should start this off. What did you uh, think about this one? You know, I, I like this movie. I enjoyed it. Um, I don't know that I'm not going to say that this is a top ten uh, movie, but I, I like what it was doing. It's clearly a propaganda film. It's very old fashioned. Gary Cooper maybe isn't right totally for the role, but obviously that was a choice of Alvin. And you know, if if a person who's having a movie based off them, if they actually get to choose the person that plays them, that's pretty cool. So I'll let it slide. But you, but who would um, but who would Donald but Donald Trump would play? Would pick like Chris Hemsworth to play him? You know that? Yeah, or well, I don't know. Maybe he would. Maybe he would. But yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, but yeah, it'd be still for him. That'd be pretty sweet if you got to pick the guy that played him. <laughs> but I want yeah, Denzel. I, I like this movie. Denzel. I like this movie. I was more entertained by the first part of it than you were. It was a bit, a bit long, but I, you know, and I, I thought I would hate it all because you know that sort of stuff generally drags for me. But it was interesting enough. And then the war movie part of it was pretty cool. Um, if you go in and remember that it is pretty much propaganda and it's very, very old fashioned in its attitudes, I think you'll enjoy it. But uh, I mean, it's no, it's no city of life and death. No, not quite at that level. Um... I will say that I didn't particularly enjoy it too much. <laughs> um, uh, Gary Cooper, in my opinion, it's an okay performance. I just think he's wooden and kind of there's not really much there. I like Gary Cooper. Rest in pe- rest in power, Coops. But uh, this wasn't my favorite of his uh, performances. Um, and the movie is just, I don't know. It's just too simple for me. Like it's just there's not a lot, a whole lot of nuance. I get it's a propaganda picture, but I feel like even in things like Air Force and A Walk in the Sun, there were more, there was more dynamics to the characters, and I just enjoyed them more. Um, whereas this one just felt so slight. It kind of reminded me of like a crappier Hacksaw Ridge, or like american sniper or something like because eventually becomes like a yeah. <laughs> murdering psychopath maybe not a psychopath but you know what i'm saying um so yeah i think this is a story that would really benefit from a modern remake uh yeah. i i think this is a really good story that should be told yeah, as long as they uh, just he's a fascinating character just make it more realistic that's all i want yeah um yeah and, make show me more of the war show me less of home life <laughs> or if you're gonna show home life, i don't know it just there's just something about it that just wasn't authentic to me it was hard for me to really enjoy and invest uh get invested in so that's 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 just me though maybe i'm kooky well let's just hope a walk in hell is better a walk in hell isn't that the one with the uh, Addie murphy oh hell and back oh hell and back okay let's hope uh, hell and back is yeah, better maybe we should watch that sometime 
Yeah, maybe we should. Maybe we should. But not next week, Jason, because next week we are continuing on our path uh, uh, with this list here. And we are going to talk about a movie about the Korean War. Ooh. Yes, we are going to talk about the 1951 Samuel Fuller movie, The Steel Helmet. Wow. This is, this is as Korea is going on. It's the real Korean story. A ragtag group of American stragglers battles against superior communist troops in an abandoned Buddhist temple during the Korean War. Starring Mr. Gene Evans, of course, like I said, directed by Samuel Fuller. So that'll happen next week. Uh, But for now, you know, follow us on the social medias. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter or X or whatever the hell it's called. At uh, FSACpod. We're also on Blue Sky. Also at FSACpod. Jason... Uh, we're on all the podcast apps as well. I'm losing the thread here. We're on Age of Radio. Go to ageofradio.org slash for screen. I'm Gunter. Jason, what about you? Same. Jason D. McLeod, at Jason D. McLeod, M-A-C-L-E-O-D, over on Twitter and on Blue Sky. Yeah, boy. Well, Brandon, we've had a lot of fun today. I had fun. I always have fun hey, with you. I'm so hey, glad you hey, came. Hey, hey, Sergeant York, more like Sergeant Dork. <laughs> Take that, you dead motherfucker. I realize I didn't get that you one dummy. in. <laughs> didn't want to end the episode without well, it. Well, you did. We've had a lot of fun today. Yeah. And that just leaves me with one last thing to say to you, Brendan, mm-hmm. which is God save the king. Samuel Fuller directing? For Screen and Country, I'm Jason. I'm Brendan. I don't know why I'm confused by that idea. You're, you're confused by a lot of things, Brendan, and I think the audience has a right to know. Wars? Don't get it. World War II is an inside job. No, no. In the draft of 1917, a man from Tennessee. Overseas to the trenches he went from the land of the free. Of October he went, made a sergeant for him.